Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk, or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Brownwell Podcast. I am so happy to have you here joining us today. Today, we have another interview episode at the Brownwell Podcast with special guest Gabby Maddox, who you might know on Instagram as The Intuitive Vegan. Gabby started her Instagram account when she became vegan four years ago to kind of keep a record of her own recipes. And over the next year, her followers just grew and grew. And maybe it's because of her accessible cooking style and her method of quickly snapping the results without any staging. It has uh, really become a source of fantastic inspiration. Gabby is also a speech and drama teacher, having set up her own company in North London called The Playing Space. Gabby is joining us today to talk about her own journey into veganism, her journey and philosophy of eating, thinking, and cooking intuitively. She shares some of her experiences with her diagnosis of Crohn's disease and how her veganism has evolved through time. She also is great at talking about imperfection within veganism. She's not shy about that at all. And as you know, (laughs) this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. She talks about navigating having a mixed eating household with kids. And what I loved the most about our conversation was how thinking for yourself within a movement that often wants to speak for you can really heal your relationship with food. It can connect you with others and make you even more compassionate and inspirational. Gavi is the perfect example of how authenticity is the new black <laughs> and how you can inspire and plant seeds without being perfect. And it's often when we aren't that perfect that we inspire the most without only showing, you know, that highlight reel or a perfectly edited feed or life, but showing up in our truest, most informal self. I have to tell you that her excitement and joy are beyond contagious. And I am pretty sure that you're going to love her just as much as I did. You can find Gabby on Instagram through the handle at the.intuitive.vegan or you can find her in her blog, intuitive-vegan.com, and also her work through The Playing Space at The Playing Space and theplayingspace.co.uk. Now, before we get started with today's conversation, here's our sponsor for today's show. This episode is brought to you by our signature online program, My Brown Bowl. My Bramble is an ongoing program, all in video format, in which I teach you how to cook delicious vegan meals, get organized, give you support on your vegan journey, as well as the tools to help you find a more mindful and balanced place with food and eating. But most of all, it's an ever-growing library of online vegan cooking classes with new content added every single week. There's so much more included in the program, so go ahead and visit mybrownbowl.com to learn all the details and to give it a try. That's M-Y-B-R-O-W-N-B-L-E.com. Now on with the show. Hello, Gabby. Welcome to the Brownbowl podcast. Where are you joining us from today? I am in North London. Lovely. Oh. And the sun is shining. And it's a beautiful day. (laughs) London is one of my favorite cities in the entire world. You are so lucky to live there. Every time I go, I say, should I maybe move here? And then I say, no, no, Spain is wonderful. Madrid is amazing. But it is such a lovely place to be in. You have better weather, but I think we have better vegan restaurants. (laughs) 
Um, well, you'd be surprised. The vegan movement here in Spain has been growing in leaps and bounds. It's been incredible. But I do recall eating oh, the best vegan food in London. It is incredible. And it's just such a wonderful, such a wonderful city. I'm so glad you I think there. we have such a good range of vegan options from like proper, like what they call dirty vegan junk food to the sort of more like kale and walnuts, healthy options as well. So, and everything in between. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. So Gabby, I'm so glad to have you here in the podcast. I'll, I'll get into how I found you a little bit further along in the episode, but it is such a treat to have you here today. I wanted you to share uh, a little bit of your story with food growing up. What was your relationship with food growing up like? I was defined by my mother as a picky eater. She always said, Gabby eats like a little bird. She tells the stories often of whenever we went to restaurants, she would have to take a pillow and a blanket because I was so disinterested in food that I would you know, eat a little bit of something and then fall asleep under the table. Um, I actually don't think I was a picky eater. I just think I had quite a narrow range of foods that I really loved. So I loved raw vegetables. I didn't like cooked vegetables. I loved fruit. I love nuts and seeds. So this is sounding like a really healthy diet. <laughs> um, there were lots of things that I didn't like, you know, particular vegetables like cooked mushrooms, but I loved raw mushrooms. I hated cooked broccoli, but I loved raw broccoli. So my feeling is that I wasn't a picky eater. I was actually just, I, I had particular tastes. And as I've grown up, my tastes have massively expanded and I pretty much love everything now. I would have never expected that answer based on your Instagram account because your meals are, what I love most about them is the variety. You you have such a wide range of foods and meals that you prepare and assemble. Uh, it's really inspiring. And I would have never guessed that you were once uh, named a picky eater. Never, ever. <laughs> Well, that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Um, and I think sometimes with children and being a mum myself is that, you know, you maybe have to adapt a bit towards your children's tastes. But often children, even ones that are called picky eaters, will actually have a huge range of foods that they like, but they just maybe have different tastes to the traditional adult tastes. Yeah. So did you grow up vegan or vegetarian or were you a total omnivore like me growing up? Total omnivore. I met my first vegetarian when I was six. My older brother had a vegetarian girlfriend. And I said to her, why don't you eat meat? And she said, because I love animals. And I said, but I love animals. And then something in my brain clicked and I realized that the food that I was eating was dead animals. And I immediately said, well, in that case, I'm vegetarian. And my mother said, oh my goodness, no, you're not. You don't like vegetables, you can't be, but I absolutely refused to eat animals for quite a long time. And from that age, until I was pregnant with my first child, I was pretty much vegetarian with occasional lapses. I wasn't 100% all of the time. I met my first vegan when I was 24 and suddenly made the connection between uh, dairy products and eggs and honey and decided that, you know, I was going to be vegan. And then I met my husband and he tried, he battled so hard. Like we're, we're both foodies. We love food. And he was trying to cook vegan food and it was a bit of a disaster. And this, you know, I was 24. So this is now um, 20, 24 years ago. And the range that was available in shops was nothing like what it is today. And I have to be honest and say, look, you know, I'm in a new relationship. We want to go to restaurants. We want to be able to eat together and cook together. Vegan is a step too far. It's, you know, vegetarianism is absolutely fine. And I, and I stuck with that. Um, the change came when I was pregnant with my first child. He's now 17. So this is 17 years ago. Wow. And I started having quite intense cravings for meat. I was dreaming about pizza covered in like parma ham. And every time I took a bite of this pizza, the parma ham would just slip out from underneath my teeth. I dreamt about 
raw steaks like flying around and I was trying to jump up and get a bite of these steaks. Now, I think I probably just had an iron deficiency, which could have easily been remedied with a change in diet or a supplement or something like that. But at the time, I was the only vegetarian in my family. I was surrounded by meat eaters. And I thought, well, you know, I might be a vegetarian, but my unborn child clearly isn't. And I started eating meat. And I thought, I'll do it while I'm pregnant. Then it became, I'll do it while I'm breastfeeding. And then, of course, the blinkers go back on and suddenly it becomes food rather than a carcass. And it was only then four years ago that I did Veganuary and have been vegan ever since. I love the whole journey you went through. And that is one thing that I've loved about your website and your Instagram account. You are so honest about just how imperfect life can be when you're trying to make the best choice that you can. And it's sort of, we are all vegans in a non-vegan world. So it can have its its moments in which you're sort of grappling with that. And I, I find it so refreshing when you talk about that. I always tell the story when I, I had sort of read about veganism, had tried to kind of dip my toes in vegan waters. I had no idea that you could go to a health food store and find all of these great things. So I kept reading cookbooks and saying, tofu, they don't sell to where's the tofu? Where's the tempeh? What I, I, I had just, uh, didn't know how to sort of get started. And it sort of slipped, slipped away. Uh, kind of like what you're mentioning. And I remember when I finally, finally really made the decision, it was because I had actually not only read about what animals go through, but when I saw the footage of factory farms, slaughterhouses, etc. And I watched the films, I told my husband, listen, I'm going to give this a shot. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but I just want to try it. And three days later, I was at a restaurant and I ordered the biggest rack of ribs <laughs> on the planet. And I realized at that moment, like, oh my gosh, okay. So even when we have this awareness, th there's a little bit of resistance we have to pull through. And there's, it, it, it's just not as black and white as mm. people make it out to be. And you really have to kind of forge your own path and find your own way. Do you, mm. do you feel that resonates with you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything that you just said is, you know, such a common experience. It's so funny. I was in a restaurant just a couple of nights ago and to celebrate a friend's birthday. So it was quite a big group of us and me and my husband and another vegan friend of ours were kind of at one end of the table. The, the vegans were, were huddling at one end because we knew that it wasn't a particularly vegan friendly restaurant and we were going to have to, you know, make sure that our order was being taken on board and listened to very carefully. And there was um, an, a, a meat eater who was sitting kind of in our group and of course, you know, was aware of the fact that we were making these quite sort of specific orders and checking that there was no ghee in the food because it was an Indian restaurant. Um, and he said, oh, I, I would love to be vegan. I just don't have the willpower. And my husband said, I think if you go into something like this with the idea that you are depriving yourself, then it's never going to work. Yeah. And what you were saying before about the lack of uh, choice, you know, a, a couple of decades ago, or when we first started, you know, questioning the idea about veganism. Now, if you go into a, not a health food store, but a regular supermarket, yes. dairy milk is the restricted choice. There's one type of milk. And in contrast to that, you have oat milk, pea milk, cashew milk, you know, every kind of plant milk. So I think of veganism now as being the expanding choice rather than the restrictive choice. I love that. And that is definitely what I'm seeing too. Now you can find 
anything in the regular supermarket. Friends always tell me, well, you must buy, uh, you must go to like a special store. Uh, we live sort of outside of, of the big city of Madrid. Mm -hmm. So people tell me, well, you must have to go to like a specific store. And sure, there are wonderful vegan stores where you can find. I mean, it's like Disneyland. But uh, I always tell them, no, where do you shop? And they tell me the supermarket. And I say, well, I can I buy, I shop there and I can find everything there. And the thing is that un, until you start making these choices and doing some substitutions, you don't notice these products. Now it's, now it's much easier because now the word vegan is prominently uh, just, it appears in supermarket shelves. It's, it's remarkable really. Especially in January. <laughs> yes, especially in January. <laughs> now I wanted to ask you, Gabby, in your website, you write, I am a dedicated vegan. I love to cook, eat, and think intuitively. This means cooking without recipes, eating whatever feels good, as long as it's vegan, and thinking for myself rather than following a rule book. That last part of thinking for yourself without following a rule book, I had the biggest aha moment because I certainly remember when I first went vegan, I was uh, listening to podcasts, reading books, following blogs, and... I started going down a path of the way to talk about this, the way to think about my choices that wasn't really me. And I was sort of thinking, okay, if I'm going to be vegan, I have to take into myself all of these, you know, what I'm seeing in other people who have been vegan for longer than I have. And I sort of found myself after a while and it's funny because I made this choice entirely based on my value system. I didn't want to hurt animals. I'm a huge animal lover. And I started following this path. And then I suddenly realized that the way I was advocating and the way I was talking about it and the way I was thinking about veganism was not, uh, was not in accordance to who I was as a person. Mm. And I just want you to expand on that idea that it's so important to think for yourself and sort of carve your own path. Could you expand a little bit on that and, and what, what that was like for you? In my early days of being vegan, I became aware of the fact that there were these very black and white rules that you had to follow. And if you didn't follow them exactly, then you would be told that you weren't vegan. Now, we want as many people on the planet to be vegan as possible. I would love the entire planet to be vegan. I think it may even happen in our lifetime. Who knows? Um, but people won't even dip their toe in the water if they feel that the rules are so strict and it becomes more like a religion and you don't have that space to make your own decisions. So I think, uh, let me give you an example of something that happened to me in the first few months of being vegan. Yeah. I went to a friend's house for dinner um, and she, and I had said to her, you know, I can, I can bring some food myself if you like, or if you're able to, you know, manage a vegan meal, that would be great, but please don't worry. I know it's a hassle kind of thing. And, um, and she said, no, 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 I can definitely do you a vegan meal. It's no problem at all. She's a very lovely, warm and giving human. And she had made like a, a Caesar salad for everybody. And she was using regular chicken for everybody else. And she had found some corn chicken pieces to use in my salad. Now I know that not all corn is vegan. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> some of it has egg white in it yeah. or something like that. And I made the decision not to like quiz her on whether she had, and I thought, you know, she's gone to this effort. She's gone out. She's, and as I'm literally sitting down to eat, her husband picks up the packet and says, Hey, this isn't vegan. It's got egg in it. And honestly, she looked at me like the color drained out of oh, her face. Poor thing. She felt so awful. And I made the decision then to say, please don't worry. It's fine. I thought I've got two choices here. I can sit here eating lettuce while everyone else has, you know, a nice meal, or I can just eat the food that she has made for me with love and care and consideration. And she made a mistake. And 
you know, ultimately, why are we doing this? We don't want to harm animals. By me throwing that corn in the bin, have I saved any animals from harm? I'm not doing this because I'm a purist who doesn't want any animal products inside my body. Occasionally, as you know, mistakes happen and, you know, a little, you know, we swallow a bite of this or that and and it's an accident. Now, this was the, I would say, one of the only times that I have knowingly ingested a non-vegan product. And I made the decision there because I wanted everybody else around that table to think that veganism was a pleasure and something wonderful and attractive that they could all manage. And if they sat there picking at lettuce, I think ultimately they would have thought, oh gosh, that's definitely like an extreme thing. I wouldn't want to be part of it. So now there are people out there who would say, oh, well, then you're not vegan because you've made that decision. And that's fine. If they don't think I'm vegan, they don't think I'm vegan. Honestly, water off a duck's back. That's probably, uh, there's probably uh, someone who would think that even making a phrase like that, there should be a like, walk, water off a chestnut instead. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, oh my goodness, Gabby, this story is like so many of the stories I have in my own journey. And I have done exactly the same thing as you have. I always try to remind our students and our listeners that being vegan is not the sort of it's not about the being vegan that we have to focus so much on. It's not about the perfection or the purity around sort of owning that title as if someone had sort of been watching us for years and they say, okay, so you've done it perfectly. Here's your, here's your vegan card. <laughs> it's not. You are vegan wizarding level seven. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And, and that the, the real path is helping animals and that there are many imperfect situations in which the way to help animals, the way to plant seeds and other people, the way to show people that veganism can be very different from person to person, that you can be um, flexible in situations where flexibility is called for is much more important. Because I know that if I had seen somebody at a dinner party and they had this option of a Caesar salad with something that is very, very similar to chicken and they could enjoy it, a plate that looked exactly like mine if I was an omnivore. And they suddenly said, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I, I can't eat this. And they just ate lettuce. I would have never tried it, ever. Yeah. Yeah. And it is so important to think for yourself and to have those moments of saying, this is what my journey is going to look like. And we're also human and we have human relationships and human inter interactions. I think to reject my friend's meal would have been pretty mean. It would have been an unkind thing to do. It would have made her feel so awful. Um, and I think that we have to remember that that's also important. It is. Be kind to humans. Absolutely. <laughs> there should be, we're talking about kindness towards other beings. We're talking about kindness towards the workers that work in these industries that have to go through a lot of trauma. We're talking about kindness towards ourselves and kindness to the people that we love. So there has to be that flexibility when flexibility is needed. I think it, it's so, so, so important. I love that you shared that story. That's going to help a lot of listeners who have never quite felt that they fit in and who are constantly afraid that their that their wizard, <laughs> vegan wizard level seven card will be taken and can away. can I just say as well, like I, I'm very honest. I'm totally... Um, at peace with myself and the decisions that I make. I don't want to fund animal cruelty at the end of the day. Yeah. And there may be other people who are, who feel a bit more anxiety about, you know, if they've accidentally ordered something or they've eaten something that you don't have to tell anyone, <laughs> keep it to yourself. If it makes you worry that someone's going to take away your vegan card, just it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I recorded a podcast uh, episode recently and I told people, you have autonomy in this path. You have complete autonomy over the choices you make, um, the decisions you make along the way. And that includes uh, what you're willing to share, what you want to, uh, I don't know, every single step of this journey, you have autonomy to make choices. 
And you can cater that to your personality, to your personal circumstances, to your situation. It's very mm-hmm. important. I also sometimes like to picture, because animals are my um, main reason for for being vegan, I like to picture them all kind of a, a bunch of animals. Think of all the farm animals that we eat. All Think of them cartoon-like with their noses pressed up against a window watching me on the other side. And they're sort of waiting to see what choice you're going to make. And if by any means you ate something that wasn't vegan, they would go, okay, it's okay. Do it the next time. We're rooting for you. Please keep helping us. Don't worry. We can do it better next time. And I think that's what, that's the best we can do. We can. Absolutely. And, and, and the two of us are quite, you know, not compared to some people, but you know, quite far into our vegan journey to the point that we would absolutely not want to willingly put anything into our mouths that just doesn't seem like food to us anymore. And I have to be honest with you, you know, that story that I told you was quite, it was in the first few months. If that happened to me now, I'm not sure if I, how I would deal with that. Um, It would be much more conflicting for me to eat something that had egg in it. Sure. Because I think that the, the, the longer you are down this path, the the stranger it seems because you almost don't consider it food anymore exactly and you start to worry about what it might do to you as well (laughs) I think we also have to miss there there have there has been so much focus on the the health aspects when it comes to veganism and I think a lot of claims are very much exaggerated a s- small amounts of animal products will not cause you harm. That is not supported by science. But I know it feels, uh, sometimes it feels like, oh my goodness, I haven't had dairy in nine years. If I have something with dairy, I'm sure I'm going to get a stomachache because I'm sure my body forgot to handle it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I understand what you mean, that it, it feels stranger mm-hmm. the longer... Uh, you are on this journey because it's just been so long since we've had these products. Actually, um, as a family, because my my children and my husband are kind of, I call them pregan. Oh. So they're close to, close to vegan. They're getting there. My husband, virtually vegan. The only exception he makes is that we do buy eggs from a hen sanctuary, mm-hmm. which I don't eat, but my I'd much rather my children and my husband ate those eggs than... Um, you know, free range or organic, which would be, I guess, the the next best thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, and in my early days of being vegan, I did eat the occasional egg from a hen sanctuary. And it, I suppose this is a really ex- good example of what I mean by intuitive veganism. There came a point after about six months where I just didn't want it yeah. anymore. Yeah. And it didn't come because I was worried that someone would say to me, oh, well, you're not vegan if you eat those eggs or something like that it just I had I lost the desire it suddenly seemed very weird to be eating something that had been extruded from the back end of a hen (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah uh, we do have some some strange habits as humans for sure (laughs) Um, how is the situation at home with them eating mostly vegan uh, do they love vegan food? Is it has it sometimes been a bit of a battle at home? How do you handle it as a family? Um, it's not always easy because I would love to have a completely vegan household. Yeah. I would love to not have any animal products in the house, um, but my boys do eat cheese, and you know they're quite you know they're. 13 and 17 now so my older son particularly will make a lot of his own lunches so all of our evening family meals are completely vegan i i've made the decision to buy cheese from something called the ethical dairy i have a slight issue with the with the name because it isn't slaughter free but it is a dairy where they allow the calves to stay with their mothers until they're weaned rather than taking them away um, at a few days old so again this is another one of those gray areas where i've had to make a, a choice about allowing my children to make their own decisions about their diet rather than imposing something on them that could potentially lead them away 
from veganism completely. My younger son doesn't eat any um, meat or fish at all. He will have a little bit of dairy. My older son does eat meat when he's outside of the house. Um, And I, you know, I could feel, talk about my regrets at not raising them vegan from birth. But the fact is that I became vegan four years ago when my son was 13. And so he has had all of that time of thinking of animal products as food. And he certainly doesn't eat much meat, but that's his choice. So it's hard. I'd love it. I'd love him to, you know, I sort of think he's got such an amazing opportunity. If my mum was vegan, I would have been vegan from a really young age. And you know, but I think that's it's it's part of being uh, vegan in a non-vegan world. They share time with friends. They, uh, you know, they, they want to have that that freedom when it comes to eating or they like certain tastes. And I think it's part of their journey. You never know what is in store for them in the future. And I also think that the teenage years and the preteen years are very important in sort of giving them a healthy relationship with food and sometimes not imposing too much restriction can be the healthiest thing you can do for your children and uh, just allowing them to explore and then maybe reach that point because they want to be like you. I think you've planted many seeds and they are well on their way (laughs) to whatever that will mean for them, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk a little bit about your intuitive eating journey because you are the intuitive vegan on Instagram. I have found that pretty much anyone who arrives at the door of intuitive eating has had a past with dieting or disordered eating or an eating disorder, Uh, just the ups and downs in the yo-yo dieting through many years. Do you have a past with dieting? Oh, yes. (laughs) So I have never been overweight. And yet, I always think that if I was just a little bit thinner, I would be a little bit happier, which is ridiculous. But I am a victim of the society that we live in and the billboards and the media and the bombardment of all of those images and ideas in magazines and on the television. And so I haven't been able to escape from it completely. I suppose the fact that when I was as an adult, at my very thinnest, I was also incredibly ill, has shifted my thinking a little bit. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in my early 40s and I couldn't I couldn't eat. It was very difficult to eat in the run-up to that diagnosis. I didn't know what was going on. And um, I remember saying to a friend of mine, I would put back on every single pound that I have lost just to be able to enjoy a meal. Um, But I suppose, you know, my mum was always on diets. I know that she was worried about my sister gaining weight. um, And the fact that I was the thin one in the family didn't really, you know, it was still always, do you need that extra potato you're going to get fat. You're go. So it wasn't the fact that I was, it was the fact that it, I could get fat was, yeah. you know, a potential disaster. There is almost no escaping that, right? There is either the fear of instilling the fear of weight gain or the be careful, it's getting, you know, you're getting to a higher point or just mm-hmm. we have to, we have to fix this issue. We have to get you to be thinner it is so damaging. And those, do you really have to have that extra potato moments? Oh, I would then grab three and shove them all into my mouth because I'm also, also have a rebellious streak. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I don't think it even, of course, if we're rebellious, I'm also slightly rebellious. And that's my reaction to that as well. But it's also the dynamic of dieting. Mm-hmm. When we restrict the pendulum swings to the opposite end of overeating, And then we're back to the first one because we feel guilty. And it's just an ongoing cycle that is so damaging. But those moments at the dinner table with comments that our parents make, we never forget those. They really 
get they they get into our system and they're there as background noise. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 so sorry that you had that pressure growing up, and especially the story you shared about struggling with Crohn's. How has that sort of evolved through the years? Have you found a way to manage it that feels okay? If you want to, if you want to share. Um, so it's actually quite connected to my my vegan journey because um, I did veganuary in 2018. My husband had told me that he had decided to stop eating meat for January. And being competitive by nature, I said, well, in that case, I'm going to go vegan for January. <laughs> and it was at the end of the month that I noticed that I hadn't had any Crohn's symptoms. And I thought, well, look, I'll, I'll keep going with it for a bit longer because it, it seems to be a diet that suits, uh, you know, my condition. And the thing with Crohn's is I always had to be incredibly careful about the amount of fiber in my diet, nuts and seeds, things like popcorn would be very aggravating too. I had to be careful about how, um, many green leafy vegetables I ate because they could, bring on uh, symptoms. And so my assumption had been that January was going to be really difficult because I was going to be eating a lot more of those things. So I was quite surprised at the end of the month that I hadn't had any symptoms, decided to keep going with it. Six months later, I still hadn't had any Crohn's symptoms, which was quite phenomenal um, for me at the time. And, um, and so I decided to be vegan permanently, initially for health reasons. Then, of course, you you discover everything you didn't want to know about the agriculture and industrial farming industry. And so um, I now am definitely vegan for the animals and the health benefits are the cherry on the cake. Now, I made quite a big mistake at this point. I thought I had cured myself of Crohn's disease by adopting this vegan diet. Crohn's disease is a lifelong incurable condition. <laughs> And I started cutting back on my medication. Mm -hmm. And when I got to an incredibly low dose, my symptoms recurred. Yeah. And so I just want to say that because I think, you know, sometimes people think that um, their vegan diet can be the solution to everything. And so I, I just always think it's worth mentioning, like, I didn't cure myself of Crohn's disease. I still have Crohn's disease. I still have to take anti-inflammatory medication every day. But as long as I do that, then um, I'm absolutely fine all of the time. I can eat as many nuts as I want, seeds as I want, kale as I want. I add <laughs> something else. I, I feel like I, you, you may want to cut this out, Kim. It's completely up to you. <laughs> the only two times I have had flare-ups since being back on the proper dose of medication has been after my COVID vaccinations. <gasps> and I'm, that's why I'm quite cautious about saying something because I'm very pro vaccine and I think everyone should get vaccinated. And if I have to have another dose of the vaccine at some point, I will do, but the vaccine is there to, to get your immune system um, fighting again. Yeah. And Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. First of all, it might be a complete coincidence that that has happened. Second of all, even if it isn't, so you deal with it. So I've had to cut out fiber um, in the wake of my booster vaccination, and that kind of gets me back on track again. So those are the sort of things that I have to manage. I loved that you stated the importance of medication when you have to take medication, that a vegan diet is not a magic bullet, a magic pill that will solve all of your health issues. I think some circles in veganism tried to portray it as that and they, it can actually be very harmful. So I'm, I'm so happy you, you said that. Um, now tell us about how you found out about intuitive eating. Okay. This is f full disclosure here. When I came up with the intuitive vegan, I don't know, brand, I suppose mm -hmm. I thought about what that meant and it meant intuitive cooking, intuitive eating, intuitive thinking. At the time that I came up with that sort of idea, I hadn't actually heard of intuitive eating. I didn't realize it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was just my, what, what I meant by intuitive eating was listen to your body, think about what your body needs right now. 
I will suddenly get a, a desire for sweet potatoes or something like that, something that isn't part of our regular shop. And I'll immediately run to the local shop and I'll get some sweet potatoes and I'll make something with sweet potatoes. So that's really what I mean by intuitive eating, not worrying about diet, calories, whether it's a, you know, a sin or a treat or is it good for you or bad for you? You know, the only questions I will ask myself when I'm thinking about what I want to eat is, does it look nice? Does it taste nice? Is it what I feel like eating right now? And as long as the answer to those questions is yes, and of course it's vegan, <laughs> then that's what I will eat. I love it. And so many of the descriptions you gave for your um, philosophy are what intuitive eating, and when I'm referring to intuitive eating, I'm talking about the book and the framework uh, created by d registered dietitians, Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. Uh, our listeners know all about it because we have a full series on the podcast about intuitive eating. It is uh, very similar to what you just described. It is rejecting the dieting mentality, letting go of labels of good or bad with foods, finding a neutral place with food, and sure, integrating some of the basics we know about nutrition and that we have to have enough fiber. We need to make sure that we're getting enough calcium, et cetera, et cetera, with that question. What do I feel like eating? What feels good? What feels good today might not be what feel, feels good tomorrow. And really listening to your hunger, fullness signals, all of that. So it's actually, it actually comes pretty close. Absolutely. And, and since I came up with, <laughs> came up with that, I've, I've found out about the official intuitive eating framework. And absolutely, it, it, it fits perfectly. I think when I first became vegan, I felt like if something was vegan, then I had to eat it. And that particularly applied to cakes and donuts. Yeah. If I went to a restaurant and they had something on the dessert menu that wasn't sorbet, I felt... <laughs> it's your duty, your obligation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, you know, so I, I've, I've kind of eased off that now. I'm like, that's fine. Maybe I'll take a portion as a takeaway. And when I'm ready, I'll, I'll eat it. And yes, listening to your fullness signals um, and... And that's actually something to do with Crohn's disease as well, because that's something that would trigger it is eating until I've got that overfull, like very heavy yes. uh, sensation. That's not good for me. Yes. Was it hard when you were on that journey to tune in and notice where that um, sort of pausing point with eating, where that was good for you? Did it Was it hard? For me, the hardest part of intuitive eating has been tuning into fullness signals. It is not an easy thing to do when you've been chronically dieting and then binging or overeating. Binging was a huge part of my history with food and it can mm -hmm. be hard. Uh, what, how did you approach that sort of tuning in? I think what was interesting for me is that you, you often have like a, the top part of your brain that shouts out, what I want right now is ice cream and cake and, and sugar And actually, if you say, I'm just going to go a little bit deeper and I'm going to ignore that inner child that's shouting for treats and just think, actually, what else is there below the surface? That's when you start to find you're actually really interested in eating some, you know, cashew nuts or sweet potato. And coming back to what you were saying about you know, needing the right amount of calcium and nutrients and so on in your diet. I think actually that deeper level, if you can tune into that, that's where you'll realize, oh, I'm craving Brazil nuts, which happen to have selenium in them or something like that. And so oh, I hope that's right. You can fact check that. It is absolutely right. Brazil nuts are very important in a vegan diet. They are, I think, one of the biggest sources of selenium. You're totally right. Phew, that was, uh, I was drenching something up from something I'd read a while ago. Well so I think if you can tune into that deeper level. So I think, um, that, and then that happens, the more practice you get at that, the more you're actually able to tune out that kind of like, I just want cake that's coming at the top of your head and, and kind of settle a bit deeper in your body. Yeah, and I, <laughs> and I think also some of those times when you just want the cake, It's okay. And you yeah. can, sometimes it is the cake that is going to do the trick and you enjoy it. You eat it mindfully 
And then you're going to be craving something else. The important thing, I think, is is the non-restriction. And I also think that the non-restriction allows you to dig into that deeper level because you know that the cake and the cookies and all of these sweet treats are not forbidden anymore. So they are Absolutely. not they do not have this layer of the forbidden fruit that mm. immediately makes us reach for them. They're there whenever we want them. And the time that I think about cake, I mean, I, I, I don't diet anymore, but the historically the time that I have dreamt and craved sweets and cakes more than any other time is when I've been on a diet. Of course. <laughs> because they're restricted. Yes. It's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose why for me, that top layer, what I call my inner child that's craving treats, is probably because they were quite restricted when I was little. We didn't have puddings. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, we ne- my, my, my family were always quite health conscious. It was always like brown bread and, you know, freshly squeezed juice. There was no squash or white bread. And so that's always the thing that I think of as a treat is all the stuff that I wasn't allowed to have as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the way of dieting. It uh, becomes this internal battle. And then all you can think about are the things that are forbidden on the diet. And then when you're off the diet, that becomes the, the only plate that becomes the buffet that becomes the buffet, all of the forbidden foods, you fall back into feeling extremely guilty because you have a negative association with them and you're back on the next diet. And it just mm-hmm. is such a harmful, such a harmful cycle. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you found peace with food in this way. It is so refreshing and it gives me hope <laughs> to hear that I'm not the only one on this on this journey, I certainly felt like a very strange little bee in the vegan community because I was approaching things this way. But then I found mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people that are also on this journey because they have struggled a lot with food. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, please tell me, so much of what you post online is about intuitive cooking. What is intuitive cooking? Right. Okay. Well, basically, I don't ever plan meals. I know there's a big movement about meal prep and like preparing your shopping lists and things like that. Now, as I mentioned, I'm in North London. I'm very lucky. I can. There's a there's a, a well stocked shop two minutes from my front door. So if there's something that I need, I can very easily pop out and get it. I started to find recipes quite restrictive. I would have to you know, read through a recipe, there'd be usually half the things on there would be things I would have to go out and buy. There was often lots of different stages and planning and maybe techniques that I hadn't used before. And I just found it a little bit overwhelming and, um, and, and challenging. And so really what I mean by intuitive cooking is thinking about what you feel like eating getting a whole load of stuff out of the fridge. I've got some broccoli, I've got some cashew nuts, I've got some this, I've got a t- tin of coconut milk. And just thinking about how they'll all go together and allowing yourself to make mistakes. And I mean, honestly, 99% of the time, it always tastes delicious. If you're thinking, what will go with this? Oh, I know, lemon juice. It will, it will go. So it's about trusting yourself and about giving yourself freedom to make mistakes. You know, it started when my son wanted to bake. He, got, he, I think he was watching one of these kids baking shows on TV and he decided he wanted to bake, but there was no way that kid was going to follow a recipe. <laughs> he would just get some flour and he would get some margarine and he'd get milk. He'd, he'd just put it all together in a bowl. And if it looked like cake mix, we'd put it in a cake tin. And if it looked like biscuit mix, we'd make it into biscuits. You know, we'd just put it in the oven and it would always come out fine. And I'd always been, you know, had the perceived wisdom that when you bake, you have to follow a recipe. And so the fact that he would, sometimes it would be like a scone and sometimes it would be like a fairy cake. It was just, but it always tasted nice. (laughs) And it was so lovely seeing a young child have that freedom in the kitchen. I I think freedom in the kitchen is such an important uh, skill to develop that instinct it is about very much about instinct just like when we practice intuitive eating it's connecting to what we feel like eating what feels good what would energize us here we are putting that into practice is what i think mm-hmm. i'm getting from from this way of cooking you are 
okay, so this looks good. This looks good. This looks good. What else is needed here? And then maybe you feel, oh, a little bit of an acid taste would be good. And that's when you grab the lemon juice. I love it. I, I, I think that's incredible. Is there any method to the quote unquote madness or do you uh, follow certain steps? Do you do, how do you sort of get started? The first time I try something new, I will, I'll do it. I'll do a Google search and I'll look at maybe four or five different recipes and I'll find the common threads between them. So I discovered that you can make spaghetti carbonara using cashew cream. Yeah. So you, so cashews and blend them and stick in a bit of um, of, the, of the black salt, the eggy smelling Kalanamak salt. I love that salt. And so now that I've figured that out, I would never pick up a recipe when it comes to making that sauce now. I would just, you know, I sometimes use cups. Like I know that roughly a cup of cashews is, is about right. Um, and, you know, it means that there's every time I make something, it's a little bit different. There's, there's never any consistency, but it's always yummy. It always tastes good. You know, as long as you don't do anything really daft. Yeah. Um, I think you can trust yourself. That is wonderful. I love how you get inspiration from recipes, but do not have the need to follow a recipe specifically. And I think there are, I, I see this with our students, there are two groups of people. There are people who absolutely need measurements and amounts and, uh, and a recipe because they feel absolutely lost. And I always try to f- to get people to be flexible with that and saying, if you don't have an ingredient, skip it. The recipe is mm-hmm. going to turn out fine. Be a little bit flexible with that. But then there are other people who the, the recipe just feels so restrictive in terms of the, the freedom they get when they can just wing it. And uh, I love that you are speaking in a way to both of those. The people who need the recipe, what's the fear? What's the fear? What do they think will happen if they grab a handful of something rather than, or a pinch or a teaspoonful rather than weighing it out? They think it's going to be horrible food. They think it's going to be a disaster. The sun will still rise the next day. <laughs> I love I listen to your podcast about perfectionism and I think it kind of oh, keys into that. So, <laughs> so much, so much. Um, I think we have, especially with Instagram, and that's one of the reasons I love your account. Uh, we have really... I mean, to be fair, I don't post the food that, that does turn out to be disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> but everything, I, I mean, uh, your post, we'll, we'll get to how you decide, how you decided to take on that journey of your Instagram account, which I found, find fascinating. But we do have this idea now that every single recipe we make, every dish has to be picture perfect. And we are so afraid of the end result if we are not extremely meticulous. And I can tell you as a recipe creator, as a recipe tester, as a certified plant-based cook, I there is so much flexibility even within a recipe. So mm-hmm. much flexibility. And uh, it's it's just about taking the plunge and daring to make mistakes. So important. Mm-hmm. I love that you mentioned perfectionism. It is our favorite topic at the podcast. And let's and let's be honest, often you will follow a recipe to the letter and it will still taste horrible. Yes. Yes. And maybe if we had a bit of wiggle room, you could have made decisions yourself about actually, do you know what? I don't like the taste of saffron, so I'm going to leave that out. Instead of thinking, if I don't put in that pinch of saffron, then, you know, it will collapse or yes something do you use mm. the same intuition when it comes to shopping for food just grabbing what feels good how do you um sort of approach shopping yes and no so we have a weekly online shop mm-hmm. um but the, my main shop that i do is at our local refill shop in north london uh, which is a completely vegan shop um if anyone's in the North London area, I recommend visiting the Harmless store in Crouch End. Um, amazing shop where you can get all of your, you know, dried foods, all of your herbs, all of your spices, completely plastic free, which is uh, important to me as well. Um, so I do all of that kind of shopping there. We get a little bit of a top up shop from our online shop. And then we have our little you know, round the corner shop where you can get all of your fruit and veg without plastic as well. Um, so 
it's a mixture of those three things. Uh, and the intuitive bit seems to come more from the, the harmless store. I'll see something that I've not tried before or and just fancy it and grab it or um, from the local shop mm-hmm. as well. Um, the the online shop is a bit more kind of like just fixed. It's like then we know we've, we've always got whatever we need, yeah. mainly for the kids. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, it's a, a little bit of the best of all all three worlds. Uh, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. Now, here's how I found you. Like I said, I was feeling like a uh, lost little bee, practicing intuitive eating, trying to see if it could be combined with veganism, and it absolutely can. We've had lots of episodes about how to navigate those two areas, and I just didn't. I just didn't know if this was possible. And I start, I, I decided to use a hashtag on Instagram. I mean, not use it, just search for it. And I think I searched for intuitive vegan or intuitive eating vegan. And your account was the first one that popped up. And in your account, your bio says, snapping pics of the food I eat before I eat it. No setup, cooking without recipes and without harm. And you post the plate of food that you have in front of you, no styling, no worrying about how it fits into your feed. It is so informal and approachable. And you have built this incredible following. I want you to share a little bit about how you decided to do that and what you've learned through that process of sort of being very real on Instagram. The reason I started posting on Instagram was because of this style of cooking that I have where I don't follow recipes. And sometimes I would make something and it would be really delicious. And I think, oh, I really want to make something like that again. But how am I ever, I'm, I'm never going to be able to find it. So I would take a picture of the meal and I would jot down, you know, what the ingredients were and, you know, a very rough method. You know, fry them, then add some sauce, then eat it. <laughs> Um, and so it, it started as a recipe book for me, almost like a, like a journal for me. So that then if I was thinking, you know, feeling a bit uninspired and I didn't want to eat, know what to eat that night, I'd be able to scroll through my own feed and think, oh yeah, that was good. And I know how to make it cause I've done it before. Um, so that's how it began and it sort of blew up and I've, it's always been the biggest mystery to me. <laughs> I love that. The reason I do it like that is because I'm really busy. I'm running two businesses. I have a very demanding family um, and I don't have time to s- style my plates. I, I'm always amazed. Like some of these sites you see, they're very like manicured and it looks so beautiful and I, I love it. And I, I'm always very impressed by that. But that's just not something that I could do. Um, and so it's literally, I sit down, I put the plate on the table, I've got my knife and fork in one hand and my iPhone in the other hand, and I take a picture. And then at some point over the next few days, I'll, I'll upload it. And, um, what I love is that people are responding to it so, so much. So people are looking for these refreshing takes on anything, feeling like the food they cook and what they see in their plate is similar to what somebody else cooks. They want to feel that connection. They want to feel like the imperfect humans we all are. I think it is, it, it really was a big lesson for me to see that because I'm always worried with our feed. I am very, well, I'm sometimes inconsistent with our Instagram precisely because of it, because I'm trying to get a picture perfect uh, shot because I love photography and I loved, I love your account and it is real food from your kitchen to Instagram. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Gabby, you're a speech and drama teacher and you have your own company in North London called The Playing Space. Tell us a little bit about the work you do there. And I also have a, a, a question, but tell me a little bit about your work and then I'll ask it. I was training to be a child psychotherapist. Wow. And as part of that training, I had to be working with children. This is more than 20 years ago. And I started up these little speech and drama classes. I knew that I didn't want to be a stage school. I wasn't interested in, you know, preparing performers or actors. It was about developing really good communication skills in a safe environment without any auditions or anything. We work in very small groups between four and eight 
children in a group so everyone has the time to be heard and listened to and included and we have students who do acting devising public speaking um, all sorts of things like that and we have a, a mixture across our year of doing group work and devising work um, and they also have the opportunity to take exams in speech and drama if that's what they want to do and it's my life's work, I suppose. I, it's been going for, you know, 20, 23 years now. And I've watched students that I've worked with from the age of four growing up. Some of them have even come back and taught for us. So it's a, a, a small business, but very lovely. I I find that so interesting. And there is definitely so th- there's such a connection between uh, child psychology and uh, drama and how healing drama and, and performance can be in so many aspects. I've, I've read a lot about it and it is really, it, it's really something special. I should say I never finished the training to be the child psychotherapist <laughs> because I was enjoying so much that the, the work that I was doing, it took over. But I do think that that two, two or three years of training that I did has really informed the way I teach and the way I train my teachers as well. I yes, no, I absolutely got that from from what you said. And and that's why I sort of wanted to bring these two together, because I do see that informing the work that you're doing. I used to be well, no, used to is incorrect. I am a very shy person. People do not believe me because I have this online presence, etc. And I'm on video, but it is hard for me. It is hard for me. And I was a very, very shy kid, extremely shy kid. And theater at my school was huge in me sort of finding myself. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you if uh, just working in drama, when you are out of that space, it makes you feel more at home in being yourself because I think that comes across everything you post online. It comes across this very unique way you see uh, veganism through. Uh, Do you think that's true? Do you think that's the case? I've never really thought about the connection between the work I do with children and young adults and being vegan. The vegan thing is, is something that's quite personal, um, although I talk about it all the time, and the number of my students who have ended up doing speeches for their public speaking exams on the important, you know, the benefits of veganism and things is quite funny. They'll often try and bring a little vegan joke into their devising work as well. <laughs> um, so, but I, I suppose it's about being open-hearted, yeah. about being free from judgment, about really good listening and responding and I think those there is actually much more of a crossover there than yes. I had realized. So I've just had an aha moment. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Gabby, my last question for you is, uh, what would you like to see different in the vegan movement? What change would you like to see? I don't know if I want to see a change. I think that within every movement, Throughout history, there have been a range of ways of being active. For some people, it's not about activism, it's about themselves. For some people, I I think it was Ivana Lynch who I I first heard this word from, so I'm going to give her credit, but she may have heard it from someone else about being an attractivist, about just showing what an attractive life the the vegan life can be. And then there are people that are more extreme than that who will um, take a much stronger stand. I think that there is an issue with vegans telling other vegans that they're not vegan because they're not doing it in the same way as them. But that just is, I, I don't know if that will ever change. I just think you have to be you know, at peace with your own decisions and not worry too much about what other people are telling you to do. And they can be at peace with their decisions as well. So I'm not sure if I would change anything. I think it is organic and it's a process and we are making strides. Oh, look, you know, if I could wave a magic wand and make it all happen faster, then of course I would. But I'm pragmatic. I, that is 
A wonderful, wonderful answer, Gabby. And you just made me have an aha moment in realizing, yeah, there is always in every movement going to be people in different sort of areas of that um, sort of rigidity spectrum or whatever you would like to call it. And it doesn't matter if other people have a very different way of seeing it than you. We keep thinking that we are less than if somebody has a very different perspective. And that's not true. We can do it our own way and have people do it their own way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gabby, this is fantastic. Now, please tell our audience where people can find you, follow you, etc. Right. Well, my main thing is my Instagram account, which is at dot the dot intuitive dot vegan. Um, I do have a website, which is um, intuitive dash vegan.com. Now I have to be honest, the website does not get very much love or attention from me. It was a very sweet Mother's Day present from my two boys a couple of years ago. Um, they bought me the domain name. And so it, it's there and it exists. The, the, the blog section is so neglected. I don't think I've done a blog for years. So really, it's the Instagram account is where you'll see much more activity from me. Wonderful. Would you also <laughs> like to share about the playing space in case we do have a lot of London listeners? Absolutely. It's theplayingspace.co.uk is the website. And it's speech and drama education for children and young adults in very small groups. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Gabby, I cannot thank you enough for being here. I knew that our conversation was going to be wonderful because I love the way you approach everything when it comes to your veganism. But uh, this just uh, exceeded my expectations. You are wonderful and so kind of you to share your time with us today. Well, it's been A complete pleasure. Thank you so much, Kim. It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you. Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Gabby. You are not alone. If you are caught up in the illusion, be thinner, be happier. But the reality for Gabby, as was the case for myself, is that when we've been at our thinnest, we have not reached what was promised. Nothing creates food obsession more than dieting and finding a neutral place with food where all foods fit, we can eat delicious, nourishing and fun meals without obsession. It is possible to practice intuitive eating when you follow a vegan diet. Choosing the plant option over the animal option due to your values falls within the scope of preference and the foods we love and prefer to eat. Once again, as it seems to reoccur with pretty much all of my guests so far, our vegan journey can start one way and shift and change as we grow into it and learn more. You can still be vegan, even when your loved ones, your partners, your kids aren't on board 100%. A vegan diet can aid in the treatment of certain chronic illnesses, but it's important to not treat it or view it as a magic bullet or a magical cure. It can and should go hand in hand with any medications or treatment you may need. In every movement, there are different ways of being active and finding your place. It is important to find your own voice, your own path, what works for you, even if others in the movement might disagree. The goal, as always, is helping animals, creating a more sustainable future, not achieving a perfect level of purity. Because as I like to remind you, there is no such thing as the perfect vegan. If you play in the kitchen, if you follow your intuition when cooking, the worst thing that can happen is you've got a not-so-perfect dish, and the sun will rise again the next day. Perfectionism is the enemy of progress and adventure. Online or in our real lives, being authentic, being yourself, being imperfect, having fun with the unplanned is often what inspires others the most. And finally, sometimes a little boy baking with no recipe and playing in the kitchen can inspire a movement that inspires thousands. Thank you so much to Gabby for joining us today and to you for listening. I will see you next week.